So I'd like to speak tonight about a key component in the path of practice in the Dhamma and also uh, something that's a key component in our relationships and our speech. Uh, it's often a component that we don't notice, that we don't pay attention to. Uh, and, and this is how we're looking at things the perspective that we have on a situation, on life, on ourselves. And in the teachings, this is known as right view, or wise view. And in the presentation of the Buddha in the Eightfold Path, it's the first factor, it's the first, the first step <clears throat> which means it's it's where we start from in some respects and and our view is an aspect of wisdom it's about how we see things and so this is both the the beginning of the practice the beginning of any uh spiritual journey is really uh some 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 dawning of wisdom that says Some, something's not right here, something's off. I'm not living the way I want to be. Or the sense of things could be different, they could be better, I could be happier, and could be more well-being inside, outside. So this stirring of something inside and, and starting to see that uh, our actions have effects, that the things that we do in life matter. And that by starting to look closely at that, by starting to look closely at how we're living, what we're doing, how we're relating and being, uh, that we can begin to understand what what brings happiness for ourselves or others and what goes in the other direction and then we can start to steer we can start to steer towards towards the good so this is this is the this is the beginning of the path a sense that we can have an effect on the course of our life and then it's also the end the path also culminates in wisdom, in a, a purification of our view, more and more refined levels. We see more and more clearly the nature of this life and of ourselves until it, you know, is fully mature. We see uh, clearly uh, what this reality is and the, uh, the fundamental programs and biases in our mind, we're able to see through those, and in that seeing, something something releases very deep inside, and realize a kind of uh, peacefulness that comes through understanding things clearly, not through getting something, but actually through, through putting something down, through putting down our attempts to control life, or our attempts to 
try to fit a square peg into a round hole. We actually see that the hole is round and that that square peg's not going to fit. So then suffering stops because we're not trying to get things to go in a way that they don't actually go. Not trying to eke out some uh, lasting fulfillment from a world that isn't designed to fill that in us. It's just gives us temporary um, moments of, of pleasure, but that our deepest fulfillment is actually already here. It's actually within us when we just let go and open a sense of abiding. And all this comes about through seeing clearly, through purification of view. So the Buddha said that right view is the forerunner of the whole path. He said, uh, just as the dawn is the forerunner and the first indication of the rising of the sun, so right view is the forerunner and the first indication of all wholesome states. It helps us see where we're going and how to get there. It brings brings out the wholesome in us. So the the word for view in Pali is ditti, which is related to the word for see, to see, from the verb to see. So literally it's a way of looking. It's a certain perspective on things, a way of looking at and reflecting on experience. And, and that perspective, our perspective on things then shapes and informs our choices, our actions, our goals. So one of the most kind of basic examples I like to use about this is uh, from view arises an intention and then from intention arises certain actions. So when I was in my early 20s, uh, I picked up the guitar and started to play never thought I would play the guitar, never thought I could play the guitar. And then one day I saw a friend um, at a, someone's house playing a Bob Marley song. It was just, just a simple two-chord song, a song I happened to like. And I looked and said, gee, that doesn't look that hard. I bet I could learn to do that. A certain view. I bet I could learn to do that. A certain way of looking at it. And then from that rose the intention. I put forth efforts. Well, uh, maybe I'll try. And then lo and behold, you know, a couple years later, I was playing the guitar. Now, if I didn't have that view, if I didn't think, well, if I had the view, I can't play the guitar, I can't learn to do that, then never would have picked it up, never would have even tried, wouldn't have made effort, there would have been no intention, there would have been no, um, you know, energy moving in that direction. So this is a very simple example. So our view is kind of how we orient towards things, how we're looking at them. And then from that comes the direction we go in, our intention, this sort of trajectory of our actions. And if the view is off, if we're looking at things off kilter, then everything that comes afterwards will be off. It's like a map. If you have a map and, and it's oriented upside down, you won't end up getting where you want to go, will you? 
And in fact, the process might be very confusing and frustrating because as you're, as you're kind of walking, proceeding, you look around and you keep looking at the map and it's like, everything's wrong. It's just, nothing's, you know, how come it's not lining up? It starts to get really frustrating, you know? Now, something's wrong here. So uh, James Audubon, the Audubon Society was, was founded after him. James Audubon, is one of his famous sayings was, when the book and the bird disagree, believe the bird. <laughs> so there's that sense that we have certain ideas, a certain view about how the landscape is supposed to be of our life or of the way things should happen. And then when things don't go that way, what, what do we do? You know, we say, no, that's wrong. Well, are you going to believe the bird? Are you going to believe the book? You know, you can't argue with reality. So what are the maps we're carrying? What are the views that we have about how things, how things are supposed to go? So how we're looking at something is very important. It's a, it's a certain, it's actually a, a kind of action in the mind, taking a certain view, holding a certain perspective. And that action then determines the attitudes, the inclinations, and the very actions that we bring forth. So there's another quote in the sutta where the, the, the suttas where the Buddha talks about um, a sugarcane seed or a grape seed, if you put it in soil, then all of the all of the nourishment that that seed draws, all of the water, all of the nutrients it soaks up, all go into the sweetness of the fruit of the sugar cane or of the grape, right? Because, because the seed is sweet. It has that quality to it. So in the same way, if we have right view, if our perspective on things is actually aligned with the truth, then any physical or verbal or mental actions that we put forward are going to have agreeable, pleasant, useful results because they have that same quality of alignment with the truth. Another, another analogy for this is it's like if your glasses are dirty, if you wear glasses and there's, haven't cleaned them for a while, everything looks kind of blurry, everything looks dirty. You know, things are fuzzy or kind of grayed out or not clear. I don't realize it's the glasses. It's what we're looking through that's creating that effect. So a view is something that's very powerful. It was the power to color our whole world, our whole reality for good or for ill. <clears throat> this is a slightly chilling quote. Voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. Well, that's easy. All you have to do is tell them that they're being attacked, denounce the peacemakers for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. It works the same in any country. 
So that was from Hermann Göring, Hitler's, uh, Hitler's number two man. The power of a view. And get people to believe a certain view. You're being attacked. Those people trying to make peace, or they're 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 not being patriotic. They're you know exposing us to danger, and then the people will do what the leaders say. It can be manipulated based on a view, a way of looking at things. So our view is very important in our contemplative practice and in our life as a whole. How we're looking at things, and we can actually start to investigate. How am I how am I looking at things? How am I approaching this? Is that how's that informing the way that I'm relating to a situation, to myself, to another, to my life? So I want to I want to explore this together tonight. You know what is what is right view? What does that mean in the teachings? How do we develop it? You know what, where does it lead for us, uh, both in general in terms of the path and in terms of our communication and our relationships. So right view is talked about in many, many, many ways in the teachings. It's it's one of these things where you, the more you start to look into it, it just kind of um, expands and starts to take on like the whole the whole teachings. It's kind of like like a fractal. You know, you look at any one part and you start to see the whole thing. The Buddha's teachings are like that. If you look deeply enough into any aspect of the teachings, they contain the rest of them. It's one of the sort of elegant ways the teachings are structured and and, and right view has this characteristic <clears throat> so I won't <laughs> won't be covering all of it but just that sense that uh, it, it encompasses a lot initially right view is uh, is talked about in terms of understanding cause and effect it was understanding that our actions have effects in life and that we have to live out the results of our actions. So if we think, if we speak, if we act um, out of greed, pettiness, out of hatred or ill will, or out of confusion and delusion, that that's gonna lead to pain and suffering, to difficult consequences for us. And, you know, we look look back at any of our experiences and we can see that. We can see how when we lash out, when we're stingy or greedy, or when we're just kind of checked out, you know, what are the results in our words, in our actions, even in our thinking? When we think hateful thoughts, when we think greedy thoughts, what's the result in your heart, you know? This is not a pleasant experience being obsessed with getting getting you know everything i want or harboring ill will towards someone it's very bitter but kind of burns inside and then the opposite when we think speak and act from a place of love or generosity or wisdom then peace and happiness follow in the short term and in the long term And as we've been exploring, you know, we recognize that uh, speech is one of these uh, potent areas of a human being by which we actually create um, uh, we sow certain seeds for ourselves. 
that our speech, our words actually have effects on our own life and on the, on, on the lives of the people around us. So that, uh, that quote from Thich Nhat Hanh, I read earlier, his, uh, his rendering, that was the word I was looking for last night, when I was about, not a translation, but a rendering, uh, his rendering of the fourth precept, the precept on right speech, has this understanding of cause and effect, his, his whole, all the way he uh, explains the precepts, has this understanding of cause and effect woven into it. So the way it's framed is aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen. I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and to relieve others of their suffering. So there's that awareness of the relationship of cause and effect, that our words have effects on other people. They can bring suffering or joy. And then he goes on, knowing that words can create happiness or suffering. Again, this understanding of cause and effect, knowing that this is the case, that words can create happiness or suffering. Therefore, because of that, I vow to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. And then he goes on from there. And where do our words come from? They come from our thoughts, right? It starts as a thought in the mind and then it comes out as words. So it's important to start to trace it back and see that our view sets the stage for the whole thing. And based on our view, certain intentions follow. Based on those intentions, certain speech follows. Based on our speech, certain actions follow. So this is the Eightfold Path, right? View, intention, speech, action. And this is another thing that the Buddha points out. He says, um, for one of right view, right intention springs up. For one of right intention, right speech springs up. For one of right speech, right action springs up, and, and, and so forth. From right action follows right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. From right concentration, right knowledge springs up. We see clearly, and from seeing clearly, freedom. And it just begins with right view, and there's that sense of this kind of an unfolding, like it just sort of naturally unfolds when we're seeing things clearly. And when we're, and when we're seeing things in a distorted way, then what happens? then our intentions show up in a certain way when we, when we think that things are permanent when they're not. When we think that things can, um, you know, fill that sense of um, a lack or emptiness inside, that hunger, when we think that experience can actually fill that, what kind of intentions spring up inside. when we think that things uh, belong to us, that we own things, that they're not <laughs> all just changing out of our control, then certain other intentions spring up. So this is the beginning of right view. 
seeing cause and effect and understanding that we can start to steer our life. So we start to be able to discern wholesome from unwholesome. We start to be able to see what leads to our own welfare, what leads to the welfare of others, and what leads and what doesn't lead to welfare. And we see this in our speech. We see this through the ethical guidelines, through, the, uh, through where our speech is coming from, the actual intentions behind them. You know, why are we speaking? Are we speaking uh, in order to look good, in order to um, prove something, in order to gain some advantage, to sort of subtly control or manipulate things? So this is another aspect of right view, just being able to discern what's helpful from what's not. Which direction do we want to go and what do we want to pick up and follow and what don't we want to pick up and follow. Recognizing that the, you know, the intentions that we act on will become habits. The intentions that we act on, the things that we pick up and uh, give energy to, those will, those will create a certain tendency in the mind. It will, they will be reinforced. There's another very important aspect of right view, uh, which is connected to the sense of cause and effect, which is just, there's, we can understand right view as an affirmation of the relative world, that we actually have to live in this world of um, time and place and relationships with very specific relationships and meanings. It's not just, oh, it's all impermanent and not self, nothing matters. But actually, people have meaning to us in very specific ways, and, and things have a very specific uh, relevance. This is an aspect of right view. How is this an aspect of right view? <clears throat> One of the um, phrases in the suttas that's described as right view is there is mother and father. There is mother and father. That's right view. So what does that mean? Well, on one level it means what it says. You have a mother and a father and, you know, be nice to them and help them out and, you know, Pay you know be respectful to them. They raise you know, very least they you know gave you nine months, eight months maybe you know, <laughs> um, you know but raised you, gave you food and clothing, and did the best they could to their ability. So there's there's some debt there of gratitude. So there's that. But. To me, I think that actually points to something deeper. I think it points to the sense that, you know, we don't come from nowhere. We each have a lineage. We have ancestors, you know. And there are people, individual people, who have a very specific relationship to us. Not just our mother and father. We have a brother, we have a sister, we have an aunt, we have an uncle, we have a friend, we have a son, we have a daughter. We have a colleague, we have a coworker. We have a student, we have a teacher. There, there are these roles in life 
that we play for each other, and they have an importance, they have some weight, they exist in some way, and, we, and, and that that's, that's part of our responsibility of being human, is to occupy those roles with a sense of, of care and dignity and wisdom and understanding. Not just mother and father, but to me that, that represents the web of relationships in our life that we, we all hold a specific place in this world with specific relationships and that those need to be attended to carefully. That's part of right view. And to take care with those relationships, to honor them, to recognize them, to pay attention to how we are within those relationships. So that the, the, this, rel this relative world is not separate. It's not extra to our practice. It's an integral part of the path of awakening. It's the ground for creating the conditions for liberation. For cultivating a heart that's truthful, that's peaceful, that's harmonious. Um, for, for working through the rough bits, the, the gritty parts, the difficult parts, for cultivating the qualities of the parami and the brahma-viharas, all of these beautiful qualities on the path, those come out of our, of our very specific relationships in life. You know, the person we can't get enough of, what's going on there? The person we can't stand, what's going on there? The person we couldn't care less about, what's going on there? Greed, hatred, and delusion manifesting, right? Take a look. So another aspect of right view is, uh, it says that there is what is given, there is what is offered, there is what is sacrificed. Well, that's an interesting statement. There is what is given, there is what is offered, there is what is sacrificed. So what's it like to contemplate that? What's been given to you? All of the things, right? What's been given to each of us? And what have we given? What have we offered? What have we sacrificed? And what comes when we contemplate that? What comes, you know, what arises? A sense of gratitude, generosity, maybe even belonging, connection, that we see that we have these relationships and that we've received a lot in life and that we've each given, that we're part of this cycle, we're embedded in this cycle of life, of giving and receiving giving and receiving, with every breath, giving and receiving. So again, this affirmation of our connections, of our relationships, of these bonds that we have in the world, not just with other, with other human beings, but with, with the trees, with the water, with the soil, everything that's giving life to us, giving nourishment to our body, to our spirit. And what's it like when we don't have that view? What's it like when we have the wrong view? I don't know anything to anybody. I don't owe anything to anybody. I did it all myself. 
How's it to live in that world? What kind of intentions and actions result from that? Or, or the, you know, the other one of nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody's helped me. All alone. How's that to live in? What kinds of intentions and actions and words result from that view? So the Buddha is saying very clearly, no, there is what is given, there is what is offered, there is what is sacrificed. This exists for each of us. Don't forget it. When you forget that, you're in wrong view, you're not seeing clearly. That sense of isolation, of alienation, of separation, that's a wrong view. And from that wrong view, what's going to happen? Like dominoes, all of the action, all of the intentions, all of the words, all of the actions that flow out of that will be off kilter, won't lead in the direction of awakening and well-being. What happens when there isn't the view of, you know, there is mother and father? When we don't have that sense of no, you know, this is, this is my friend, I have a responsibility. You know, this is my, my relative. This is my fellow human being. You know, there's some relationship here. What happens when we don't have that view, when the view is, I don't care. You know, what have they ever done for me? The view of... You know, that boss, that coworker, they're just out to get their own. They don't, you know... We, we, lose, we lose touch with their humanity. We can't see where they're coming from. So how are we seeing things? How are we looking at things? And start to investigate and notice what assumptions, what ideas are we carrying? And how is that informing how we're relating, how we're approaching our life, our relationships, our words? <clears throat> As right view develops, um, another aspect of it is, uh, oh, I wanted to say one other thing on this, this cycle of giving and receiving. Um, so also with speech we see that this, this sense of the generosity in a dialogue, you know, that, that, that a dialogue is a give and take. There is what is given, there is what is offered, there is what is sacrificed. In order to listen to somebody, we need to sacrifice something. We need to put something down to listen to somebody else. We need to let go of our own agenda, of our own ideas for, for a little bit, you know, to give. And then to actually communicate, to actually have a meaningful interchange, there's that cycle of giving and receiving. There needs to be that give and take. If there isn't, if there's just a view that, well, you know, you just have to listen to me, or the inverse view that some people have, well, you know, I don't really matter. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to take up any space. You know, I, I'm just, I, I'll just listen. I'll just listen. It's okay. The, either of those is a wrong view. It's a give and take. It's a balance.
So another aspect of this, uh, this view that's in alignment with the truth, this way of seeing that's conducive to well-being, to freedom, uh, is starting to see things more clearly uh, as a natural process rather than in terms of self. It's a natural process of different events and causes and conditions all coming together and changing rather than seeing it in terms of um, it's all up to me or it's all my fault or it's all it's all about me seeing things in terms of uh, natural natural conditions unfolding just like the rain and the wind, just our life is just different conditions changing and unfolding. When this happens, that happens, and then if that thing isn't here, this other thing doesn't happen. Just seeing those causes and conditions. And we start to become aware of the, just the many factors that influence anything in our life, anything that happens. And we can start to examine um, all of the many threads that influence a relationship or our speech or an interaction internally and externally for ourselves and for someone else. So, you know, somebody says something to you slightly, slightly brusque, you know, maybe looks at you in a way that you don't like in the office. And when we, do, when we see things in terms of self, wow, what's their problem? You know, they don't like me. We're not seeing the bigger picture. We're not seeing that there are many conditions. You don't know what's going on for that person. You know, maybe they had a fight, an argument with their spouse this morning. You know, maybe their parent just got diagnosed with cancer. You know, maybe they have terrible back pain today or headache or maybe they're hungover or, you know, you don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We take it personally. Instead of having a sense, there are many, many, many conditions. They're, you know, each of our personal histories and personalities feeding into any moment in life. <clears throat> I was teach teaching a retreat last week, a very tragic story about, um, you know, different conditions coming together, but the pain that can come when we take things personally as self rather than seeing, seeing the various conditions. This, um, this uh, older gentleman and I had some issues with, um, issues isn't the right word, I sort of have a pattern of having friendships for a long time and then kind of ending them, not being able to stay engaged in the friendship. See, he is seeing this pattern. <clears throat> and he had a very meaningful friendship with someone for, for many years. Um, and then, you know, things ended, he had, he had kind of, Somehow things ended. I can't remember what the circumstances were, um, but uh, he was he was upset, you know, with how things ended in some way, not not happy. And um, no one day he gets a call out of the blue from this person saying, "I'd like to see you." And uh, apparently, in the, in the phone converse, phone conversation, he was there was a little bit of anger underneath, inside. He hadn't realized that was still there, but apparently when the phone rang, he was talking to the person, there's some anger there. And 
So the other person you know, picked up on that in some way, and um, they lived kind of far away in the country, outside of the city where he was. So they, you know, didn't work. So sort of made the decision to not not make the trip, based on that kind of anger and just the sort of, you know, bristling in the conversation. Didn't quite go as smoothly. <clears throat> and a month or two goes by, and. And then uh, he kind of hears through, through the grapevine that uh, that this person uh, actually had you know stage four cancer, and had and had passed away. And that you know apparently this phone call was, uh, you know their their attempt to reach out and and see him once more before they died. Well, very tragic, very sad. And he blamed himself, you know. Oh, if I only I hadn't been angry. Had I been more generous, or so we talked about it, and some space for the, the sadness and the pain of that loss, but then you know also pointed out the, the many conditions there. You know, she hadn't told him that she had cancer or that she was dying. You know, that was one of the conditions. He didn't have that information. You know, so there, in any situation, there are many different factors, m many of which we will never know. We will never know about feeding into us one moment, one interaction, one situation, and yet we blame. We take we take things personally. We blame someone else. We blame ourselves. Um, we make snap judgments or jump to conclusions without recognizing that you know. Things are just unfolding according to certain laws. Everything's kind of affecting everything else. And that's not to say we don't take responsibility for our actions or don't hold others accountable, right? But just to see the larger picture, to not lose sight of the larger picture. There's another story about this. Um, I was living at a monastery in England, doing some training there. <clears throat> and uh, as part of the training, I was looking after the kitchen, kind of making breakfast, managing the, in England they call it the larder, the place where you sort of store all the vegetables and dry goods and so forth. And um, while I was the kitchen manager, some of the other guests there were um, kind of, I was, you could say, supervising them. It's not really, it's a bit of an overstatement, but you know, I was loosely in charge. And uh, one morning we, we made breakfast and uh, we had a lot of extra carrots. So we juiced a bunch of carrots, made juice for everyone in the community. And this other fellow was from Italy. He'd owned, a re he'd owned some restaurants. He'd been an owner and a manager of restaurants, so quite, quite a bit older than I was. So here's this role reversal, right, for him. Um, and then we're coming from different cultures. I'm an American white Jewish man. He's Italian probably Christian, different culture. Um, I come from a culture of being very direct. If you want something, you need something, you have an idea, you, you speak up, you say it, you know? I think, that, I think we should do this, or like, I'm, I don't think that's a good idea. It comes from a very different culture, different, different way of communicating. So we, we juice all these carrots, make juice for the whole community, and um, uh, breakfast is ready. We're just about to kind of ring the bell and call everyone in, and we've just just finished juicing the carrots, so the carrot juice is really nice and fresh. And um, 
there's a, all the pulp from the carrots in one of the sinks, kind of right there on the counter. And he says to me, uh, in this very kind of, you know, sort of, uh, in a gentle, quizzical way, you know, uh, Oren, uh, do you think maybe we should clean up the sink before people come? You know, I kind of say, no, I think it's okay, it's all right. You know, we just let's just ring the bell. So in my book, you know, it's no problem. <laughs> he was very angry. He was just someone who's prone to anger. But, uh, you know, you know, you're being so bossy, you don't listen to anyone. <laughs> you know, a different view. Different, you know, I had a certain view that I was, you know, if you, well, he didn't say, hey, it's really messy. I think we should really clean out the sink. It would look a lot nicer. I took his question at face value. Do you think we should clean out the sink? No, I don't think we should. I think it's fine. <laughs> you know? That was my view. Right? There's a misunderstanding there because we were coming from a different perspective. His perspective was, you know, if someone says something like that, that's their way of communicating. Hey, I have this idea, but I want to respect. You're the person in authority here, so I don't want to challenge you. So this is my way of bringing my idea forward. I had a different view. Well, if you have an idea or a suggestion, you, you make that, you say that. So we kind of missed each other there. And then he suffered a lot because he had a different expectation about, the, about, about how we would understand one another. And then he interpreted my actions based on that. He thought I understood him. He thought what I heard was, hey, aren't we going to clean this sink out? This looks awful. And I was like, no, I don't think so. You know, I'm in charge here. That's how he interpreted it. So a different view, very different response. So most fundamentally, though, right view means seeing things in terms of the Four Noble Truths, seeing things in terms of uh, stress or suffering, you know, what's, where, where there's difficulty, and that there's, uh, where's that coming from? What's creating that difficulty? And how does it cease? How, do, how does it cease? What, what brings that about? So whenever there's some, some stress or difficulty, whenever there's some friction, we can, we can pause and reflect, you know, how am I viewing things right now? How am I looking at things? Is there some idea I have that's contributing to this stress? It's like trying to open a jar and you're, trying, you're, you're turning it the wrong way. It's like, why doesn't this thing open? You know, God, I'm trying with all my might. Well, we have a wrong, wrong information, we have a wrong view. We don't realize it turns the other way. <laughs> right, so where's the stress coming from? Is it the jar? Or is it the fact that, you know, we're putting our intention and our energy in the wrong direction because the view is wrong? Because we're looking at it wrong. So anytime we're suffering, anytime there's stress, we can ask ourselves, do I have an idea about how things should be? Do I have some expectation? You 
And can we start to start to see the humanity of other people? Can we start to see, you know, the vastness of life, all the different conditions, all of the things that we can't control? And that when our view's off, then we start relating in, in ways that create more stress and difficulty for ourselves and others. So Marshall Rosenberg says, all violence is a tragic expression of our own unmet needs. All violence is a tragic expression of our own unmet needs. A certain, we don't see, we don't see the needs that are present underneath things, and so then we, we act them out in certain ways. He's also said, uh, violence comes from the belief that other people create our pain and therefore deserve to be punished. So a certain view, the view that the suffering we're experiencing is coming from out there, we point the finger, it's their fault. And then how do we relate when we, when we blame others for our pain, when we hold other people responsible for our own reactivity? And then we, then we, then we lash out. So instead, we can we can view things through this lens that we've been looking at today. That everything we do, we do to meet a need. We can stay connected to the humanity of ourselves and other people. So in our relationships, in our life, when there's difficulty, when there's stress, to, to, to inquire, to dial it back and say, you know, how am I viewing things? What, what, what are the ideas or the assumptions that I have about what's happening? And how is that informing how I'm relating? Do I have a wrong view? So I'll just end with another, another quote by Marshall. And taking it more to the sort of the world stage, he says, real safety and peace can be achieved despite enormous odds only when people are able to see the humanity of those who attack them. This requires something far more difficult than turning the other cheek. It requires empathizing with the fears, the hurt, the rage, and the unmet human needs that are behind the attacks. Can we stretch our view to see the humanity in others, to recognize that there's some human need there behind the actions? some reaching towards life, towards well-being, however misguided or distorted it may be. And from that place, come, come, to a, come to a place of compassion, as we were chanting this morning, to all as to myself, to all as to myself. So let's sit together for a moment quietly.
about 20 minutes for some walking or movements, um, which means we'll, we'll come back at uh, uh, just about a quarter of um, for, uh, for a short sitting to end, to end the night. Um, please be on time. I'd like to start with a chant together. So if you're not here at a quarter of, then you'll, you'll miss the instructions for the chant. Uh, so try to get here, you know, a couple minutes before, before a quarter of. And uh, enjoy your walking or your moving. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.